0: If you have some confidence in what you do, there's this wonderful quote that I've hung on to for many years, and it comes down to whatever you think you can't do, just know that there is somebody who is confidently doing it wrong right now, and they have no plans of doing it better, and people are paying them to do it. So believe in your own excellence as much as they believe in their mediocrity,
2: Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we have an amazing show today. I've got one of my buddies, Mark Stanley, who is a customer experience designer performing as a healthcare industry executive for Genesis, and he's also the author of the book, Experience Design for Customer Service, how to go from mediocre to great. But before we get to Mark, let's talk a little bit about your brand and some of the things that you should be doing right. You know, the big thing that I think about in branding is it's all about differentiation. That's right, you've got to stand for a distinctive position just like all of those great consumer brands that you consume stand for a distinctive position. Now, I always think of this in terms of going shopping for those necessities. Now, we know in our world, there are big box stores like Walmart and Target. And at the end of the day, we could kind of say they do the same stuff. They sell shampoo and clothes and all sorts of products from diapers to food, right? They're those big box retailers. But why are they both successful brands? Because ultimately, they stand for a distinctive position. You know, if you walk into a Walmart store, you're typically walking in there for their distinctive position that they are going to deliver you the lowest price anywhere in your neighborhood, right? That's their mission. That's what they stand up for. That's what their brand is centered around. But if you're walking into a target, you're probably walking in for a different reason because their distinctive position is all about having cool brands that become within reach. Right. They are trying to provide you all sorts of great choice and cool clothes that you want to show up in and cool brands that you want to be associated with all at a price that you can afford. And we see that show up in their TV commercials, but all the way towards the experience that we have when we shop in the store. So I like to say most people are neither only a Target shopper or a Walmart shopper, right? most people actually consume both brands because they're going over to their clear area of expertise when they need that so that's my question for you what is your distinctive position what is your clear area of expertise and you know what it's got to be more than your job title because at the end of the day every single one of us has a job title, that there are oftentimes 10, 20, hundreds, if not thousands of people with that same job title in our company. And if we take it even bigger to an industry, there are thousands and thousands of people that have our same job title. So if you're a financial analyst, if you are an HR manager, if you are a director of operations, guess what? There's Thousands of us out there. So, what makes you the person that I want hired on my team? What makes you the person that I'm going to go to for advice? What makes you the person that should get this next open job at a company? So, ask yourself what's your clear area of expertise? And what is your distinctive position? Now, you've got to push further because it can't just be, I'm a great HR person, or I'm a great financial partner, or I'm just great at operations. What makes you stand out? Because guess what? When we're looking to fill those roles... It is just the ticket to play that you're a great operator and you're great at what that job title says. What makes the difference is the other elements that define you as distinctive from other people. Now, I spent years working in human resources, both as an HR generalist, but most of the time in the learning and organization development space. And I used to always say to myself, like, what makes me distinctive from other HR people? I'm like the non-HR guy. I'm the showman, storyteller, HR guy. I'm the cool HR guy. You know what? That was a distinctive position when I was going for roles. Now." Guess what? Did that mean I wasn't the right fit for some roles? Absolutely. It meant I wasn't the right fit for a lot of roles. But you know what? Those are roles that I wasn't going to add value to. Those weren't roles that were going to cheat to my strengths and my passions. Those weren't roles that were going to help me get to the next career breakthrough. But it made me stand out from the crowd then. And it makes me stand out from the crowd today. So there's your homework. What makes you stand out from the crowd? Well, I'm super excited for today's guest. He's an old friend of mine. It is Mark Stanley, who is a customer experience designer who performs as a healthcare industry executive for Genesis, and he's the author of Experience Design for Customer Service, How to Go from Mediocre to Great. Now, Mark has worked in and for a variety of customer service-related companies, and following a span of over 20 years in the airline industry, he transitioned. Transitioned to contact centers to develop skills around the technology used to connect customers to service staff, as well as the supporting systems like workforce management and quality monitoring. He transitioned into business consulting and project management with a focus on the relationship and interdependence between business goals, customer service operations, and technology. He primarily focuses in healthcare, insurance, and financial services. And prior to joining Genesis, Mark held a variety of management positions at Crestview Consulting, Wolf Associates, ERS, and started out his career at Lufthansa and Korean Air. We'll be back in a few moments with Mark Stanley. And we are back. I have an amazing guest today, an old buddy of mine. It is Mark Stanley, who is a customer experience designer for Genesis and the author of Experience Design for Customer Service, How to Go from Mediocre to Great. Mark, what is going on today?
0: Oh my gosh, everything, including the rent.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That never stops. It never stops, right, Mark? But let's dive right in because I always ask people how they introduce themselves in terms of who they are and what they do. But I've just got to ask, how do you do that when most of us have no clue what a customer experience designer is?
0: Uh, well, yeah, imagine that. So even, even people like my mother, when, you, when, when I hear her tell people what I do for a living, most <laughs> of them have no idea. And, and so generally, the way that I try to describe that is to say, look, I'm trying to be the voice of the customer. So every one of us deals with a customer service experience of some kind on a daily basis. And most of it's pretty awful. I try to be you. So if I have an audience with a senior level executive at a company, I'm trying to go in there and say, this is all nice. But let me tell you what the real world is all about. So I'm your voice. I'm your advocate. uh, You've given me agency to go in and speak on your behalf when I'm meeting with senior execs. And then part of what I'm trying to do is to say, you know, it doesn't have to be this hard. The question I always put to senior execs is, why do you make it so hard for people to give you money?
2: (laughs) Exactly. And now, Mark, you specifically focus in the healthcare industry. So talk to us a little bit about the work that you're doing there.
0: Well, so I do now in healthcare. The last couple of years, I've been uh, largely focused in in healthcare. Prior to that, it was pretty much a dog's breakfast. So you name it, whether it was financial services, insurance, transportation, things like that. But in the healthcare space, uh, particularly, what I'm trying to do is when you think about healthcare at an arm's length, most of us have very low. The average person has very low literacy rates around healthcare we kind of go through the motion, but very few people have a very good understanding of what it really takes to get something done. And so when you think about it, if I can go in there and be your voice and say, look, again, it doesn't have to be this complicated for me yeah. to get well, to feel better, to live a better life. How exactly. can I do that? And that's what I'm all about is to go in there and say, look, you're, you're making it a, a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Now, some of that is regulatory and they're not going to have a lot to say about that, but a lot of it is just poor design and old habits. So how do you go in there and challenge people on old habits and say, stop it?
2: Yeah. How cool is that? So I love that you're all about like making it easy for us as consumers, right. To, to, to pay and get value from companies. But tell me when you look back over your career, How did you even get into this or what were some of those career breakthrough moments that you had that helped get you to this place of great advocacy and design and being an executive in the space?
0: Well, I think it, it comes down to a couple of basic things. Like many people, I went through transitions. I started out as a staffer and in, in doing a, a largely customer service related functions. I worked um, in the airline business for many years, dealing with customers, passengers face to face and trying to, you know, solve the problems that they're dealing with on a day to day basis. At some point, like everybody else, you get this brilliant idea. Hey, wouldn't it be great to be a manager? And so then you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you take that manager's job and then you realize, oh, Oh, now, the thing about that, though, is that it's com- the same job, same place, same company, same problem, but completely different perspective. And so now what you have to do is develop a set of skills to say, how do I look at the same problem from a different angle? Because now I've got a budget to deal with. I've got headcount issues. I've got other financial metrics and things that are MBOs, for example, that I'm held accountable for. And then the third transition was when I went into consulting. Yeah, Because now what you have to be able to do is to say, uh, how do I go in there? And it's kind of, it's the hero's journey, isn't it? It's the yeah. same story we see. If I'm going to come in as a consultant, it's not about me. It's about you. So part of what I have to be able to help you do as your guide is figure out what the solution is to the problem. So I think there's, there's the, the concept of transitioning was a real breakthrough thing for me in multiple ways. I think the second thing is, At a certain point, like many of us, you get to this stage where you think, am I legit? It's the imposter syndrome thing. Do people, am am I really, I know words are coming out of my mouth, but are these words (laughs) meaningful, right? (laughs) Um, But I think at some point, if you have some confidence in what you do, there's this wonderful quote that I've hung on to for many years, and it comes down to whatever you think you can't do, just know that there is somebody who is confidently doing it wrong wrong. Right now, and they have no plans <laughs> of doing it better. And people are paying them to do it. So, believe in your own excellence as much as they believe in their mediocrity. Yeah. Right. So, so, so once you've done that, right now, now you kind of break through that own level.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So Mark, t- talk to me a little bit about imposter syndrome, because I know people come and talk to me or ask me about that all of the time. So I'm curious, what was one of those moments in your career where you were sitting there and you were like, uh, I shouldn't be here? And then what did you do about it? Oh,
0: I think if we're brutally honest, that happens to many of us on a regular basis, particularly if somebody brings you in the room and says, we've we've brought somebody in here who is an expert on customer service. And you know what (laughs) I have to do is put my hand up and say, I'm not. You know what expert is? My doctor, he had to go to medical school for eight years and he has to take a test and be certified and all that. My expertise is based on experience. Mm. Okay. And so part of trying to overcome that imposter syndrome is to say, If I'm able to take a statement that I'm putting put in front of you, can I unpack that and really understand it at a very deep level and then build it back up again? And now suddenly I have confidence in what I'm doing. And that I think is what helps you overcome that imposter syndrome is to say, do I really understand this? Do I have a referenceable place that I can look to that guides how I think?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mark, you and I both are huge fanatics and obsessed with the airline industry and flying and collecting memorabilia. And you spent so much time right in this very customer focused uh, segment, uh, uh, segment of our economy. Talk to us a little bit about how did you even get into customer service working in airlines and, and, and what did you learn working there? Oh, well,
0: okay. So here comes the, the brutal truth here. The, the truth is that my uncle was the station manager at my first airline job and he hired me. Now, of course, you have to understand that. When he does this, he has to say, we have different last names. So you can't be telling people that I'm your <laughs> uncle. And I'm not, you know, I'm not stupid. I can figure that out. Right. But it, you, you learn very quickly that you, you have to look the other direction when you see him coming down the hallway in the airport. Because if people see you saying, Hey, you, you're coming for dinner on Sunday, then suddenly they put two and two together. Yeah. So it was kind of by accident that I got into it, but I had always liked the The concept of the aviation business, I'd always admired his career, and I'd always thought, "Wow, that sounds so exciting to be able to do that. And then once you get into it, you're like, Oh my gosh. This, one of the reasons you see people go in there and do it for as long as they do at minimum wage is because it is an addictive business to be in. Part of it, there's a huge adrenaline rush. Think about it. Every time that plane pulls up to the gate, you can look down at your watch and you can say, it's a 737, I got 40 minutes on this thing. I got to get everybody off. I got to get the plane cleaned. I got to get food on. I got to get everybody back on. got to get the right bags and the right people on the right airplane and nothing can go wrong. Start. And so, you know, it's, you get this massive adrenaline rush every single time. And then, you know, your goal is I want to get the flight away on time so that I'm not doing delayed reports or anything, but it's also a personal sense of pride. Yeah. And, but it's a, it's, believe it or not, it's the exact same adrenaline rush that people get when they're gambling.
2: Mm. Wow. The similarities there. Yeah. So, Mark, tell me, how did you move from working in the airline industry to then going into consulting and leading consulting practices?
0: That part is actually not as strange, because what happened was, ultimately, I ended up working in the reservation office at Lufthansa. Mm. And there I learned, all, I, I I went in there, and in, in, not surprisingly, I, I was a res agent there. And, and the manager that I worked for at the time, after me being there for a while, kind of said, we're not quite sure what to do with you. You're not, you're a very good res agent, but there's a lot more going on here that we need you to be doing. And so they moved me into a, an open position that they had to take on all of the technology there. And so they were willing to send me out, get me trained and all that, which I did. And then once I learned all the technology, the next step was one of the vendors that I had been working with at that point came along and said, hey, there's this opportunity for you to go and take on a whole operation by yourself. Are you up for it? Ooh, and I was I was, you know, young. I was like 30 at the time. And I thought, well, I guess. Well, hey, why not?
2: Let's go. Right. <laughs> let's
0: <laughs> and, do it. And let's go do it. And then that kind of parlayed itself into the consulting side of it. Ultimately, you know, where you could take all of that stuff that you would learned through the years and now go out and start sharing it uh, with other people. So that's that was a more logical
2: path. Yeah. And and then, you know, now as a customer experience designer, you decided that you were going to become an author, too. So tell me a little bit about the book Experience Design for Customer Service and how to go from mediocre to great.
0: So what that really comes down to is, um, you know, at some point you sit back and you think to yourself, I've been doing this for a long time. And once you're past the imposter syndrome thing and you think to yourself, I've trialed some of these concepts in many places and I know what I know. So now I have to sit down and, and you have a chance here. A lot of people will talk a good game and they can, they can say the right thing at the right moment. But this takes it one step further to say, I'm willing to commit these things to paper. I want to write them down. Now, what I also found is that if you're going to, you know, we said earlier, a lot of what you do as a consultant is the hero's journey. This is the hero's journey on steroids, because yeah. now what I have to have is a whole story with a beginning and a middle and an end. It's got to start small and build and so on. Well, I sat down and started to think about how I was going to do that. How do I take all these years of experience and put them into a compendium that's meaningful, that's not just rubbish, it's really something people could use? And then I stumbled across, okay, well, what I'm going to need is a hook. I need a hook in here, which is, I need, um, in this case, it turns out to be a phrase that I went out and got uh, a trademark on, which is called the service trifecta. Not surprisingly, three different pillars to it. First pillar is, do you even know the job to be done? So when customers come to you, do you even know what business you're in? So I'll give you a great quick story on this one. It's one of my favorites. Clayton Christensen, uh, bless his soul, when he was, um, uh, he's no longer with us, but when he was uh, at the Harvard, Biz- Harvard uh, Business School, yeah, McDonald's brought him in because they wanted to increase sales of milkshakes. So he goes over there and they mess around with different flavors and they're trying to figure out why they can't move the needle more than a couple of percentage points on selling milkshakes. Yeah. And they decide what we have to do is we're going to go set up shop outside of a McDonald's one day and just see what's going on. So they go to a McDonald's and they set their little table up there and they made a couple of observations. They found out, first of all, that half of all milkshakes sold happened before nine o'clock in the morning. The second thing is that of the people that buy milkshakes, they never consume them on the property. They leave immediately. Mm. And so then they sit back and go, well, hang on a minute. What's going on here? So they start to approach these people and say, what are you doing? It turns out that the reason people buy milkshakes at seven o'clock in the morning is because that is their companion on their commute to work. Mm. And they can tell by how heavy the cup is and by how much is left in the bottom and how hard they have to suck to get the milkshake out of the (laughs) straw and so on. It tells them how close they are to work. Ooh. Then another thing that they found is that, you know, well, uh, is it a, a good source of food? Well, they went to people and said, "Well, why not just get a big coffee? Coffee's different. When I get a bagel, a bagel is different. If I do that, or even, you know, a banana or whatever, I get to work and an hour later I'm hungry again. But with this milkshake, it gets me all the way through to lunch." So what's the moral to the story? The moral to the story is what was the real job to be done? The milkshake wasn't a beverage. It's my companion. Mm. And now that they understand the real job to be done, they now know what levers they need to toy with to try to improve sales. So do I need a bigger cup? Do I need a bigger straw, smaller straw, thicker shake, whatever. But it's a different thing than the flavor of the milkshake. So the first pillar of my book is, do you even know what your customer, why do you exist? Why is your company even in business? Yeah. The second thing is once you figure that out, and why people are coming to you at this moment in time in customer service, which, as a small footnote, customer service nine times out of 10 is not customer service, it's service recovery. Ooh. The reason that I'm here is because something has already failed and I'm not here to have you fix it. So, jobs to be done says, Do you know what failed and do you know why somebody's here to fix it? And then the next question is going to be, How good are you at fixing the problem? Yeah. And then the third part of that service trifecta is now that we've done that, what memory do I want you to walk away with? Mm. How does this experience that you've just gone through reflect on my brand? I've spent a lot of money on the marketing side with commercials and print ads and so on trying to do all this. But how does the service experience reflect on what I've done? So think about you know, a certain national office supply retailer who came out with commercials that said, we make it so easy. And you and I both know there was one of their locations, not far, from (laughs) four blocks from where we live. And if you went in there, God bless you if you could find a soul in that place to help you. So, you know, they spent all this money on this ad campaign, but did it really work when people set foot on property? Maybe not. So that's what the book is all about, is saying how you do that. And then what I've done at the end of each of those sections... Is said, uh, take a test. Here are 10 questions where you can score your own company on how well you're doing. So here would be an example at the end of, you know, jobs to be done. Do you count the number of calls that get transferred in your organization? Well, why would I care about that? Well, because if I have to transfer your call, it says, I didn't understand the job to be done and I got you to the wrong place to begin with. So if I yeah. have a high number of transfers in here, something's not working. Yeah. Right. And then the final thing that I do in this book is I have a whole section on change management because what you find, and I'm sure you find this as well, you can go in and you can meet senior executives and they're all gung ho. And then you say, great, let's roll up our sleeves and get busy. And they'll say, yeah, you know what? I'm a year away from retirement. I don't really have an appetite for that. Mm. I need to keep doing what I'm doing because I just want to run down the clock. Yeah. Right. So change management. Are you even up for the for the work that we need to do?
2: Yeah. So Mark, I love this trifecta. So play with me a little bit. How could our listeners take that same type of model and think about providing amazing service as a brand of their own? How could they appeal to their career audience or their career customer using that same trifecta methodology? Well,
0: let's, let's use an example that I think all of us are familiar with in the entire uh, customer experience space. The number one North Star that we all look to would be Disneyland, Disneyland. Yeah, OK? Exactly. I mean, they practically invented this as a category. And when you think about it, if you've been to Disneyland and you went and rode on Space Mountain and you stepped off and somebody was standing there with a clipboard and said, hey, Jason, let me ask you some questions about this. Do you think that chair that you were just sitting on on the ride was comfortable? Was the bar too tight against you or things like that? The truth is that what we find when we look at surveying customers and asking them questions about the service process and the experience they're having is that most of what they tell us is unusable. Mm. Now, there's a reason for that. Part of it is because in the moment, most of the time they don't know. If I ask you in the moment, are you satisfied with this outcome? Well, in some cases, it's not, I'm not going to know the answer to that for a while. I've got to wait for a week or two to find out if this thing really worked the way that you said it was going to work. Okay. Yeah. But what does make sense, though, at Disney is if instead of me asking you that question, I observe your behavior. So now if I can see that you stood online line for 45 minutes to get on space mountain and you were on that ride for three minutes and you get off the ride and you get back in line, your behavior tells me I don't have to ask you anything. I can tell by your behavior. That was so cool. You're willing to tolerate another 45 minute wait just to do it again. Right? So I think exactly. part of where I'm going with the, the, the answer to your question is be curious. And it don't, it, you know, some of the stuff that you're going to look for might, might not be as obvious to the customer as you're thinking. You've got to look at it in a different angle, this concept of different perspectives, flexible focus. How can I zoom in and zoom out, look at it from different angles, and then try to figure out what's really working for them. Yeah. Right. And then I think the other thing that you have to do, too, is do some rapid prototyping. You don't need to take two years to go build a model. I've seen things. Uh, I was, for example, uh, you, you probably know this, that I go to this thing every year, uh, Castle in Poland, where we have yeah. like minded people get together. And here's a, an example of rapid prototyping. The, we were there one year and a guy was standing up on a balcony. And here are a 100 of us standing down in the in this middle of this castle. And he said, I want to find the fastest way to get 100 people out of this room. So I'm going to right now say everybody get into a circle and then spin the circle and everybody walk out that door over there. Okay, try it again. Let's go the other direction. Let's go in two different directions. But on the spot, within a matter of five minutes, we found the fastest way to get 100 people out of that room. We didn't need to go build a computer model. We didn't need to bring in. We did it right there on the spot. You don't have to be fancy about it. My point is be curious, try things, look at them from different
2: angles. Yeah. So Mark, we've been talking all about, right, creating brands through customer experience. Let's talk a little bit about your brand as an executive and a, a client-based consultant. What are three words that you would use to describe your brand?
0: Uh can I use one of them that's hyphenated? <laughs> Absolutely, they right. are your words. You can mash them up and make right. them up too. So my first word is going to be uh, creativity. Mm. Okay, you, you've got to be you've got to be able to be creative in looking at because if all you're going to do is serve up the same old slop, anybody can do that. There's no yeah. talent required to do that. So what what is it that you brought to the table that says I see the world differently? I'm able to look at these two things in far off parts and then say, you know what? There's a connection here yeah. and here's that connection. So how do you do that? Because that's where you get, you spark interest in in, in people and you get them to really sit up and, and really pay attention.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think the second thing is, and this is my hyphenated word business case. So you can have all the great ideas in the world, but sooner or later, it's gonna come down to money and people are gonna to say to you, <laughs> show me the money. Where's the business case here? Does this thing have a way to make money? Uh, you know, is it going to sort, really cut costs out of my operation? And if so, you can't just say, and I've had people say this, oh, well, you should move to the cloud. Why? Because it's good. Huh? Like, there, <laughs> that's not an answer. You've got to be able to say to somebody, it's because it's going to reduce your operating cost by 30%. And yeah. here's where I got that number from. Okay. And then the third thing is, I think you have to be authentic. People can smell a phony from a mile away. Yeah. They, they know you, right? And so I think what you have to do when, you, when I talk about being authentic is you have to understand your audience. You have to do your homework. You have to understand who you're dealing with, where they are in their career, where their company is at with their level of interest in what they're trying to do. And then how do I adapt in the moment to them? Again, it's not about me. I'm not the hero here. I'm just the guide. So I have to adapt the message to them in order to be able to make anything happen here. But in doing all of that, I think what you have to do is you have to work at that from a position of confidence. Yeah. And so generally when I go in and I'm meeting with senior level executives, I, I try to display three things. Number one, I'm glad to be here. Mm. And if you're not glad to be here, you shouldn't be doing it right. <laughs> exactly. The second thing is I'm glad you're here. Mm. I'm looking forward to working with you. But the third thing is, I know what I know. Mm. I've been doing this for a long time. I've, I've been around the block. I, I, I know what I know. And therefore what I'm about to tell you, I can say with a high level of confidence. And one of the things I'll bet you've determined this too. People crave confidence. Yeah. They crave confidence. They want that. They want you to come in there and say to them, it's this direction. Everybody go here. Whether it is or whether it isn't doesn't matter because half of the battle is just saying it with confidence because people want to
2: know that somebody is in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are really seeking for someone to, like, show up with a point of view and say why, right? Exactly.
0: And, And, you know, and part of that point of view, I'm going to be honest with you, is half of the time I'm going to say things to you that are going to make you uncomfortable. And frankly, if I'm not making you at least a little uncomfortable, I feel like I failed. Yeah. So I need to make you uncomfortable, but then I have to give you that why behind it and say there's a good reason why we're doing this.
2: So Mark, tell me, was there ever a time in your career where your brand of creativity business case showing up authentically kind of didn't work for folks or or maybe you received feedback that it that it didn't work. How did you react to that <laughs> or or what did you do to to adapt in those situations?
0: Not since this morning. Yeah. Uh, No, I mean, of course, you have to, you know, you've got to, it's going to happen. Uh, Even Jesus didn't like everybody. I mean, there's going to come a point when, you know, when not everybody likes me. Uh, I can tell you, for example, there was a large pharmaceutical company uh, that I did some work for a couple of years ago. And. They brought this woman in and she was saying, look, I'm new here. Can you kind of go around and be the scout and figure out the lay of the land and come back and give me a report that I can present to my boss and say, here's our plan. So I did that. Come back to meet with this guy. And uh, I was, as it turns out, staying at a hotel right across the street from his office. And his ad I had a meeting at one o'clock in the afternoon. His admin calls me that morning and says, uh, slight change in plans. Can you be here at nine o'clock? Sure. I'm ready to go. I've done my homework. I just want to go and present. I go over there at 30 because I'm that kind of a guy. I'm in the boardroom. I'm set up. I'm ready to go. And I wait. And I wait. And I wait. He showed up at 11. What? Me being Midwest nice. I get up. I walk to the door. I figure, hey, he's got stuff going on. I go to shake his hand. He, brought, he walks right by me and says, let's get this party started. Okay. Ooh. All right. So I get up there and start doing my, my thing. And I get into this and I'm about 20 minutes into my presentation and he puts his hand up and he says, hang on a minute. Hang on. You, these are all great ideas. Love, love these ideas. But he looks around and mind you, these are all his direct reports in this boardroom. And he says, do you think any of the people in this room are capable of doing that? <laughs> At this point, I, I, you know, I, almost stopped breathing because I have never seen a senior executive do something like that before. And at this point I've had enough. He was rude. He was late. He never apologized. It, he was just not being a very nice guy. And I walked right up to it gets to the point. Cause I figure I've got nothing to lose. He's, he's not buying into this anyway. Yeah. And I walked right up to him nose to nose. And I said, listen to me, my dad could talk to me like that, but he doesn't work here. Ooh. If what you were looking for is somebody to come in and throw your team under the bus, you're more than capable of doing that all by yourself. You don't need me. And if Ooh. you want to have a meeting and you want to act like an adult, we'll carry on. Otherwise, I got other stuff to do. Wow. There was dead silence in this boardroom. And the guy says to me, all right, carry on. So I carried on. We get through to the end. When we're done, he walks up to me now in the front of the room, reaches out to shake my hand, leans into me and he says, that was amazing. And he left. Now, of course they, they've since become a really big customer and they you know, bought a lot from us and all that. But I'm telling you all the people in that room just sat there, you know, the entire time thinking, okay, no one has ever done that before. Mm. No one's ever challenged him before. And thank God we finally had an advocate that stood up for us. Wow. wow. So to your point, does it always work? well, no, but that's one of those times when I just figured I've got nothing to lose and I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm just done playing with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I guess that was, that's the authentic Mark coming through. There it is. You (laughs) asked for authenticity. There it is. (laughs) And so Mark, talk to me about this authenticity piece because I know this is a challenge for folks. How do you remain sort of authentic to your point of view and your recommendation and who you are as an expert and still flex to the audience. What's that tightrope walk?
0: Well, isn't it, first of all, starting by saying, do I even have a good story here? I mean, do the pieces fit together? Is this logical? Does it make sense? Is this the right story for this company, this person, this, this mission that we're on? Because if it's not the right story, you're just gonna be spinning your wheels. You're never gonna get any traction. Yeah. Has, have I made it clear that you are the clear hero here? Do you mm-hmm. do you get that? Do you understand that you're the hero, and and that's how the story is going to play out with you as the hero? It's not about me; it's about you. So I think that's that's number one. I think the second thing is, is I'm from the Midwest and we call it Midwest nice, <laughs> right? And, and you, have, you have to be, I, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever told you, this is a great story for me that I learned this a long time ago, a friend of mine had, who was early in his career, just out of college, was selling in those days, desktop computers. And in those days, people kind of knew, well, intuitively, we think it's a good idea. We're not sure what we would do with it, but fine. So he goes into this outfit, downtown L.A., to present his new desktop computer. And he's there with a guy that's been doing this for 20 years. He's good. Seasoned seasoned guy really knows his stuff. And they both do their dog and pony show. And in the very end, and he said, I have to be honest with you, the, the computer that I was presenting there was not particularly good. But I <laughs> I showed up and I did my job anyway. The guy who was the buyer, and when this is all said and done, Says to both of these guys, I've seen your presentation, I've seen your presentation, and I've made my decision, and I'm going with you. And he points at my friend. Well, the senior guy who had been there, that you know, doing this for a long time, jumps up and says, "How could you say that? My product is clearly superior. It does a better job. It meets all of the business requirements. Why would you not pick me?" And the owner looked at him and said, "Because I don't like you." <laughs> So I think this concept of be, you got to be nice, but you you have to be respectful. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, in Asian cultures too, you also understand this concept of saving face. So I want to give you some wiggle room. I want to, I want to allow for you that if I I never want to put you into a corner where you're, you have no way out. That's just not a fair position for me to put you in. You know, it's that a. My Angela, right? People may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. So, how do you make somebody feel? And then I think the, the third thing, too, is make eye contact with people. Ask them a good mix of open and closed-end questions. Make it feel like they're part of the story here, that they're not just sitting back and, and you know, trying to listen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Mark, to me, that kind of encompasses your mindset about not being the hero, but rather being the guide, right? And, and making making the people in your career audience and your customer and your client really the hero of the story, right?
0: Well, how many times have you had this happen to you? It's happened to me. more, Plenty. It's more times than I could count. Where I'm meeting with a senior executive in the company, and come on, they're good at uh, being you know, strategic thinkers and all that. But when it comes to a lot, particularly technology decisions, they don't know. That's why they have people that do that for them. That's why we have a guy that runs IT, right? I've had those people in, you know, they'll invite me in the room and they'll have IT give their presentation. And then when they leave, the senior execs will look at me and say, tell me what to do, right? Mm -hmm. I trust you. I know you know the answer to the question. I need to be the hero here. So, give me the answer and it's like, and you do. Right. And so then yeah. they walk out of there and they think to themselves, okay, so now they can sound like they're doing it from a position of confidence and that's what makes them attractive.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And to me, it's really all it all comes back to how people need to brand themselves, too. Right. We can market ourselves and talk about how great we are on LinkedIn and our resume and our CV and have a beautiful headshot. But if you show up the opposite way, right, that's the feeling that people are left with, right, is how did you act in the meeting?
0: Yeah. And, and also it, it says, do I even understand what my brand is about? So if you, you know, Daniel Kahneman, for example, has done a lot of work around the peak end rule and yeah. what are the, the, you know, the, when you look at the peaks and the valleys and the experience that a customer is going to have, and how does that tie back to the brand? So let's come to a brand that you and I know a lot. And we we're very, very fond of Starbucks. Yeah. So if I go to Starbucks and I look at the you know customer experience when they're going through a typical starbucks store and i say what are we going to ask them we're going to measure things like do i like the smell when i walk in here of coffee beans do i do i like the taste of the coffee do i like the barista all those things right yeah and you're going to get high notes on that but when i say waiting online to get my coffee low low notes long line low notes bathrooms low notes but here's the trick Starbucks looked at that and they, they said, well, you know, the deal is that if we went in and we put in gold plated taps in the bathrooms, we're not going to sell one more cup of coffee. People aren't <laughs> here for the bathroom. They're here for the coffee. Now, if the coffee tastes like garbage yeah. and it doesn't smell good in here, now nah, it's a different problem. Right. But yeah. their brand is all about the coffee and the experience you're going to have when you're drinking the coffee. They understand that at a very good level. And so when they look at their peak end rule, what they're trying to say is, what are the peaks that that we need to be worried about that impact our brand? And when you grab that cup and walk out the door, how did we make you feel?
2: Mm, Absolutely. Well, Mark, I have just a few fun questions to close us out. We've been talking all about your brand and great case studies of great brands. What is your favorite brand as a consumer? What are you obsessed with?
0: oh boy do i have to pick one um yeah you know uh, uh, brands that i'm really obsessed with you know who i think does a pretty good job of getting it right i travel a lot so i tend to stay like with marriott and i think in general terms they do a pretty good job of of taking care of me whenever i go there uh i fly on delta for the most part all the bad stuff we've heard this summer uh, aside in general terms they take pretty good care of me so i'm a pretty loyal delta guy yeah. So I would put those at the top of my list. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And now, Mark, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oh, Volkswagen. Ah, and why? Oh, because they're weird.
0: <laughs> you know, they're funky. They have character. Uh, the, those of us that, that grew up, you know, my first car was a Beetle. Actually, I've had like three of them. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, they're just, they, they speak to a different audience.
2: Mm. Mm. And finally, Mark, what's the best career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners?
0: The first thing that comes to my mind is there's no recipe. Mm. Stop looking for one.
2: Mm. You see this all the time
0: with people that cling to MLMs and things like that. All I have to do is get enough downlines and I'm going to be there's no there's no recipe. So so stop looking. you know, if you want to do this, it takes hard work. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, my, my dad was a construction. There's a phrase that they like to use over there. Just because you know, the tricks of the trade doesn't mean, you know, the trade, you've got to, you've got to roll up your sleeves and get in it. I think the second thing is, is always be relevant, Mm. understand where your own bias is, and we all have it try to work with that, but be relevant. You have to adapt and, 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 you know, be, be delivering messages that people actually want to hear. And then I think the third thing comes back to all this concept we've been talking about branding. Memory is the hallmark of experience. Mm. So what memory do you want people to have of you when they walk
2: away? Yeah. Well, Mark, I love that. Uh, I know we're going to have an amazing memory uh, of this conversation and uh, listening to this week's episode. Mark, thank you so much for stopping by the show. Thanks for asking me. This has been a ton of fun. Of course. Uh, And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts.
1: Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level?
2: I just loved our conversation with Mark. You know, I can just geek out about systems and branding and how we interact with folks. You know, the cool thing that Mark does is he really thinks about the customer journey. And that's something that we all should be doing too. Think of the folks in your career audience as your customers. I love that Mark said that he's all about being the guide and making his customers and clients the hero. And you can be doing that, too. I love that he talked about really watching and thinking about what our customers need, even if they can't articulate it, and finding the ways to observe what is going to make the biggest impact. In many ways, it's listening with your eyes. You know, the biggest thing that stood out to me, though, was this whole notion of feelings. At the end of the day, your brand isn't about logic. Your brand isn't about data and surveys. Your brand is the way that you make people feel and how people feel working with you. So ask yourself, in that last Zoom meeting that you were on, in that last conversation and one-on-one with your employee, how did you make them feel? If it's on brand, then you're doing a great job. If not... Now's the time to peel the onion and identify those behaviors that you can change. Because while you might not be able to change that label, you can certainly change those actions and behaviors in terms of what people see you do, hear you say, that ultimately drive their feelings and memory about you. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved our conversation, make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and we'll deliver a brand new show every single Tuesday. Check me out on LinkedIn and social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms and I love to share tons of tips and tricks on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Most importantly, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee, make sure that you are a distinctive and super premium brand like Starbucks.
1: You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria.